So we're on the last part where we've been talking about interpretive fallacies, interpretive fallacies. And so we've kind of grouped them together into some big categories and talked about kind of some specific ways in which um, some of them happen. I think the one that we, uh, last time we ended on was, if you've got the notes handout, I think it was between pages seven and eight, um, we had been talking about uh, over, over-literalizing, right? We talked about how when Jesus says, um, you know, I am the door, it doesn't necessarily mean he's a wooden, wooden door. So um, this morning, right, when we get close to this, uh, we're going to talk about reversing interpretation. Okay, so reversing interpretation. So, right, what's the natural direction we want interpretation to go? We want to go, we've got the Bible, gave us the Bible, and then the Bible gives us an interpretation that God gives us the Bible, and then as we study the Bible, we come to an interpretation, right? Through this process, God is working through the Holy Spirit. So what's going on when we reverse interpretation? What's wrong with what's what's going to happen here? It's really when, right? We start saying, okay, I have something that I want to, to put in here, right? So I have this interpretation in mind, and then we start right looking for that within the scriptures, trying to trying to find that. I've got a great sermon. I just need to find the yes. Bible verses supporting this. Right, or I saw this, or God revealed this to me, and I know it's there, and all right, this is impacted me. So there's a couple different ways that this can happen. And so uh, the first one would be generalizing. All right. So generalizing would be assuming that any specific historical experience reported in scripture is a valid general experience for today. So you might underline valid and general there. Valid, general, and for today. For instance, people who would claim that if there are apostles in the early church, then generalizing that out, there's no reason why there can't be apostles today. Right? So they're taking this thing that they observe in scripture and we're saying, well, there's always going to be apostles at all times, at all places. So a good place to go there, let's look at Acts 21, or Acts 1, 21 and 22. Okay. Jason, you got that? And you got yep. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, so what is it that kind of would maybe put your antenna up when you think, okay, apostles for today, anything in that verse? That would make you maybe, how did they choose the apostles there? They had to be a witness. Yeah. One, one of these, right, one of those people must become a witness with us. So they witnessed the resurrection and they were chosen from, it gives us a little more context. In the first part, what's it say? 
So it's kind of giving the, the, the role, the qualifications, the, the job description there, in a sense. Right? So that we're seeing that the apostles, in this context, was talking about something that was for that specific time, the witnesses of the resurrection that had been with them among that whole time of Jesus' ministry. And so, right, you might say to someone, are there any more of those people walking around today? Yeah. And usually, if you go to a church where they have an apostle, that's like super pastor, like speaks from the Lord, God's mm-hmm. chosen representative, whatever mm-hmm. they say, whatever they say goes. So if you are church shopping and you see an apostle. It comes with a lot of authority. It comes with a lot of authority. In their perception, right? So what are some, some other things? Um, we'll we'll kind of keep, keep going. Like there's an example, right? It would be unwise for a father driving his minivan full of kids uh, and assuming they'll part the river like he did for the Israelites so his family can return to their promised land. We're just going to keep on driving. Um, can you guys think of some, whether they're silly or not, things that people will generalize, maybe things you've generalized in the past that you saw it in Scripture? And at one time you thought, well, that's, that should happen all the time. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Um, and it kind of goes with, if you look at, I think we're on top of page nine. The fallacy can turn serious when people advocate that God can heal, as he did in the early church, and encourage sincere believers to refuse medical care. So I was in high school, mid-high school, was when I developed type 1 diabetes. Right. So type 1, you have to take insulin every day to manage your health. And a couple years after that, I was on this short-term, I became a believer around the same time, early high school, high school, and didn't really grow, didn't really know much in my high school days. My freshman year of college, we went on this short-term mission trip, and people were sharing things, and they saw I was taking this on, oh, we're going to pray that you are healed of that, and, you know, believe that. So I was like, okay, I believe God can do that. So then for the next couple days, I just stopped taking insulin. I believe you, God, right? And then I started to notice, this just doesn't feel like God has healed me. <laughs> so there was, there was like this whole vacuum of like explaining, is that really the way it still happens right now? So very much a time where I'm like glad, I kind of like, oh, okay, maybe that's, maybe he doesn't always do that just the same, same way. But can you guys think of examples of things that people look at? Could be the Old Testament, could be the early days of the church in Acts. Yeah, we tend to generalize. Uh, I heard some people like they're way out the police. Oh, huh? To make decisions. Yeah, and their their idea is that God will give them like a sign. Or a sign. A sign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So being careful to generalize, so like Old Testament, we had signs. What else? Try and lift out a few things. I think marching seven times around something. Yeah. Often, often done like marching around a high school seven times to break down the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would be. I can't remember if we talked about it earlier. Um, kind of fits into that spiritualization yeah. type deal. I think a lot of like the infatuation with the demonic casting out demons and 
Yeah. We see it in the Gospels, and surely that happens now in the same way. And he talked about the way in which healing... So there's a kind of a difference now where we pray for, and oftentimes we pray for healing, and God does some amazing things. I've seen uh, many times we pray for people in the church. Um, but does it happen in the same way where a person has that gift to touch them and they're instantly healed? Right? That's kind of a generalizing. Anyone else? Anything else? Yeah. I've heard of uh, <coughs> churches taking, I think it's out of uh, Mark, where it talks about they will pick up serpents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Snakes and the poison? Yeah. 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 You can kind of keep thinking. So there's some questions. Uh, I was kind of numbering them in that, in that paragraph. So to guard against it, a couple of things, right? One, we want to look at the scripture in the, in the historical context, right? What is being said there? So. When you're thinking about generalizing, we're thinking about generalizing. When you look at the context, what were the two words that we said? Like, it's either descriptive or prescriptive, right? So ask yourself when you're looking at the context: Is there anything in this text that is something prescriptive? Right? How do you know when it's a prescriptive text? What are some things you'll notice? The imperative is used. The imperative, right? Commands. Okay. And then what are some kind of key when it's like descriptive? Yeah. This is these are what this yeah. is what happened. These are the things that are true about this. The scriptures. Yeah. What happened, right? So it's super helpful in both the Old and the New Testament because there's times where we're reading a text that's descriptive. This is what happened. This is what a person said. This is what a person did. Um, and so sometimes we draw conclusions saying that that means I must do that, or I must say that, or act in that way, okay? Uh, ask yourself if there's anything in the text that suggests it should be practiced today, okay? So is there anything about the time or today? So is it say to continue to do this, um, right? Practice this thing. Is there any sort of command that we should also continue to do this? Where they being um, told to do this in other churches, or was this something that happened at a single time? Did Jesus command his disciples, you also do the same? Or there's places in scripture where we see, find faithful men, teach them to do all the things that I'm teaching you. So those are kind of clues and hints. These are things that ought to continually be practiced. Um, what about, do other passages affirm that the experience is pra uh, that the experience or practice is normative. Hmm. 
So what's something that we do or some, some things that we do in the church today that is a normal practice? It's a normative part of the Christian life. Learn you guys some easy pitches. Communion as a body. Mm-hmm. We're commanded to, as often as we do this, we remember and proclaim. What's that? Uh, giving, giving to the church. Giving to the church. Right. Mm-hmm. Corporate worship. Corporate worship and song, right? Gathering together as a body. Baptism. Baptisms. That's right. Bapti- baptizing them and making disciples. What about prayer? Mm-hmm. That's norm- That's a normative part, right? Discipleship, that's Elder a normative rule. part. Elder rule, right? And the teaching, preaching. So we know it's normative because we saw that it happened. The disciples practiced it. They taught the elders in the local churches to continue to do this. And they continually clarified in the epistles, this is how you ought to teach and preach and have communion and baptize. So can you think of some things that are not necessarily normative that maybe happened in the Old Testament or in the early church? Uh, the sacrificial system. Yeah, yeah. So right, that we, kind of ended. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, the end of the sacrificial system. What was a big one, a sticking point at the beginning? Can you guys think of if you've been in when we studied uh, Galatians? What was one of the practices? Circumcision, yes, everybody's favorite topic. So, yeah, so that was a big part of their worship and their obedience to God at a time, but it's not the normative part of our worship today. And then, that was a big one too, right? That was a big one too, at least even for the disciples and the apostles, like Peter, right, had to be told several times in his vision, no, you, you need to eat and uh even when we read from the Galatian church, right, where we had Peter withdrawing, like that whole dip, that wall between the Gentiles and the, and the Jews, that division. So there's times at which it was maybe normative part of their experience at that time, and they kind of went through that transition into the, the time of the church. Let's see, normative, finally recognize that while God can do anything, he chooses to do different things at different times, okay? So um, let's go on to uh, number two, experientializing, experiential, I don't know if I can say, experientializing. Yeah, there we go. Reason that if any experience has occurred in scripture and I have the same experience, it must be from God. So using experience to validate uh, scripture instead of vice versa. For instance, you might conclude that so the prophets had visions in the Old Testament. So if I have a vision or a dream, it must be of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, right, I've made all these mistakes. Same, right after that mission trip, I get back. I was going to drop a class, but I dreamt, oh, I should, I'm in the class. I'm taking the class. I wake up, the Lord does not want me to drop this class, right? So I stayed in there. I passed, but I don't know if it was, right, from the Lord, right? And, um, and I'm not, I don't think that we want to say, you want to be careful we don't go too far, we don't want to say that it got, it's not possible that God can still speak to um, or use a dream, but it's always in affirming or in agreement with what he said through the scriptures. And it's not necessarily normative in our, in our experience. Okay. 
let's re let's go to uh, Hebrews 11. I thought I was thinking of this text. I can't find this. So in 11, right, the author's talking about faith and all of the saints. And kind of going through the Old Testament. And you see all the way back, starting back in verse 4, Abel, and then verse 8, Abraham, those who were in the desert, um, Abraham offering up Isaac, and 23, Moses. And it's giving these experiences, this list of experiences that these Old Testament saints had. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. Um, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, right? Verse 30. Uh, verse 32, he talks about Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So these are individual experiences and so a person that's going through experientializing might say, look, I'm, I need to live by faith and have these experiences. That would validate my faith. And I also want to point out, if you keep reading, uh, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were <coughs> made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. All sounds really good, right? Let's have those experiences. So what does it say after that, um, after re the resurrection in verse 35? Gabe, are you there? No. Oh, wait. No, yes. 11 th so 1135. 35, yes. Yes. What's it, what do we got? Yes. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Yeah, so he kind of changes there. Now, some were tortured, and then what do we go on? What else is happening there? Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. Right? So is it, is it a normative experience that we're going to be sawn in two? Um, so we want to kind of stay away from like assuming that those experiences are going to be something that... I guess one thing is, that, do you see anything in the New Testament church that sometimes you think, they had this experience, I ought to be having this experience, or do you ever run into people that have kind of those discussions? I think it's really difficult to argue someone's experience because it's very real to them. Mm -hmm. And like, I've talked to people and I have friends that are believers that, you know, I had this experience, I had this dream, it was very true, and the next week it happened. Like, mm -hmm. boom, you can't argue that. Yeah. And so, but it could just be something like a class or like the dream you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's kind of silly almost, but it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to, dispute someone's real experience that mm -hmm. they had. Like it's almost it's almost like I'm a different category. Like, well I had this experience. Like you can't take that away yeah. from me. So yeah. that is difficult. 
Yeah, I see this most often when people say, I had a piece about this. Mm-hmm. And they kind of take the, the piece that transcends all understanding. And if you have this inner serenity about some decision, like mm-hmm. I have a piece about leaving my husband, or mm-hmm. I have a piece about leaving, or I don't have peace about this. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's kind of like you can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. I think one question, too, is when we think about like what, what is usually the goal? Like when, you, when we think about arguing with, right? Or kind of talking to someone who's treating their experience. It not necessarily is our goal to say that didn't happen, right? You didn't have a dream or that event didn't happen. Um, but like what they're saying, if you, ha- they maybe, maybe they had a dream or maybe they do have a piece about leaving their husband. But what, what conclusion are they drawing from that piece? That's so God communicating. Yeah. Yeah. So then, our goal isn't to argue their experience, but to point them to sometimes we have, all times we have to check our experiences with His will, which is evident mm-hmm. in His word. And yeah. And exclusively it, against it. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. Exactly. And in a way, it's also saying you're 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 um, you're drawing your justification from the experience and mm-hmm. saying this must be true because mm-hmm. this happened to me this way mm-hmm. and then that becomes closer to mysticism and everything and that's just mm-hmm. unbiblical mm-hmm. so now you've gone from a place of biblical to very unbiblical mm-hmm. and that's not good <laughs> so yeah 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 so in the areas like like your class like there's a like I have a friend that said that you know my husband you know said that know got this communication from God that I should stop working at this job and so I did that and it's been a huge blessing to our family mm-hmm. and like that was just so clear a sign from God mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily a God issue mm-hmm. it's more of a like life everyday experience type mm-hmm. thing yeah so I've, I've struggled with how to talk to him about that because it's not necessarily like you know God told me to Right. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah. So, I think you're you're onto something there in that a lot of times the primary place where we would want to correct or admonish is when people are taking those dreams or signs that is leading them to do something that's sin, right? And then secondary under that, we have issues of like wisdom, where you have a God gives you a freedom of of the choice there, right? You might choose something that's more wise, more foolish. God told me I should only eat chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla, right? Fine, <laughs> you know? Like, is it, it goes deeper too into like, how are they re- hearing from God too? I guess would be, my follow-up would be, did that, is that confirmed by your study of scripture? Are you gonna add something? Like, um, I think when we talk about man and the word, we want to think about making sure that the word is over our experience instead of flipping that around type of deal. So um, if it's, if the one place where you might kind of hone in is like, how has God chosen his means of communication? So scriptures about, um, also in Hebrews, if you guys want to flip to the beginning, if you're already there. Mm-hmm. 
So in Hebrews 1, 1, 1, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. And so we see that passage. We also see in, um, oh, let me see if I can find it. Hebrews 2, a little bit later on, 2 uh, verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Um, so he's talking about God's attestation through all of these, right, some of the things we talked about that aren't normative today, he's explained those were God's attesting to, right? Jesus said, if you don't believe in his testimony, believe in the testimony of the miracles. And so the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus, that was a big part of why that was not a normative. But just focusing in on, right, where are you being led by God? Is it just your husband's dreams? Yeah. But was that truly from God? I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, um, but there there are times we have experiences and there mm-hmm. is a real and then we're mm-hmm. we're leading others in a direction mm-hmm. because of that experience. And so that's um yeah, I think it's just like if you're unwilling to believe mm-hmm. things like that, that's also an unwilling caution and like yeah. Right. Yeah, it affects other people, yeah. and it affects the, all those you're impacted by. And I think we bring up a good point. Like, when when we are following God, seeking after God, um, our lives, we will experience Him working in our lives. So we're not saying Christians won't have experiences that aren't real. There's oftentimes where we pray and seek God, and we seek the Scriptures, and God reveals things happen, people talk to us, events happen, that are an answer to prayer. So... It's like not putting the cart before the horse kind of idea. Don't let the experiences be the source that you go to for leadership, but allow those experiences to happen and be interpreted by the scriptures, right? So we, I think we don't want to go off. That's one of our, as believers, when we think, oh, stay from this, we kind of can go to the opposite. No, we're not going to ever have an experience that where God's involved in our life. I think it's, it's easier to see it in retrospect and say, yeah, that was the Lord leading me. But mm-hmm. if you start to make it normative for this is how I make all future decisions, um, that might be, and that some, might go places that God never intended. And sometimes when we kind of leave the word out, God kind of becomes like we're looking for him in like our waiting to have the next dream or we're looking for a sign. If you ever had people, I just want God to speak to me and show me a sign. Well, it's right here in the Word, right? And so if, if that's the case where they're, they've had an experience, but they're not kind of following and allowing the, the Word, we want to just encourage them that God has been very clear and revealed everything we need for life and godliness in the Scriptures.
Well, let's move to over-systematizing. So this is something, we'll kind of give an example. This takes place when the interpreter engages in circular reasoning. So example would be your assumptions kind of prove your, your premise. You can't give me a C, I'm an A student, right? Well, just claiming you're an A student is really, <laughs> I've never heard that, but right. <laughs> My child has always got A's. Well, that may be true. So anyway, I got on a different topic there. So it's act, the actual fact of how they're performing, right, is the, what, what determines the claim. So an example, a, a biblical example, would be of this over-systematizing is like this analogy of faith, right? So if you, if you had a discussion about how there's a harmony between uh, the biblical doctrine that's found throughout the scriptures, um, so as you go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, uh, it's not a, never contradicting itself that one piece of con, uh, scripture agrees with another piece, and when they seem to um, disagree, we have to find a way to harmonize those things, and that's true. So uh, an abuse of this would be like to reason that since Christ will come back and I think it should say establish immediately the eternal state. A thousand-year millennium, as described in Revelation 21 through 4, would be an impossibility because we're going to be eternally, everything's going to be right. So here's a quote from an amillennial, right, doesn't believe in the thousand-year uh, reign. This theologian reports on this mistake. So when a doctrine is supported by an obscure passage of Scripture only and, only and finds no support in the analogy of faith, it can only be accepted with great reserve. Possibly, not to say probably. The passage requires a different interpretation than the one put on it. Uh, for Revelations 21 through 4, this affords a good example of misusing the general analogy of faith. The obvious scope and import of Scripture teachings as a whole allows no place for a thousand-year kingdom, so it's automatically written off without due consideration of what Revelation 21 through 4 says. So if you do, like there's many things in scripture that um, are specific and only kind of revealed in that one part. So like that thousand year reign is not really discussed in the gospels or it's not. So when you're faced with that challenge, right, the analogy, overusing the analogy would just say, well, since it's not everywhere in every book, we can't, that can't be true. That would kind of be the mistake of overgeneralizing how it fits in that category. So I think this is something that all of us probably deal with. I, I, on a regular basis, as I'm reading through the scriptures, I'll come across something and I'll think, I don't know how that fits with something else. Like, it's hard for me to grapple with. And so this, page 10, right, when it challenges our preconceived theology, what, there's two main things that will happen, right? Sometimes we can say, well, I know this theology is right, so the text has to mean whatever we have as our existing theology, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I know I've studied it, I read this book, I heard MacArthur say this or whatever. Uh, I know that that truth is right, and I've seen it in all these other verses, but this text really looks like it says something counter to that, and we want to say that it must mean something else. And then that, right? So that what we want to do instead of that is saying, if all scripture is inspired, then this somehow has to, 
say what it means and fit in with the rest of scripture, right? And so that creates, sometimes we, it's better off to have tension or some uncertainty as you study and seek out what a text means and allow it to speak and the, the idea of allowing your theology to change as the scriptures, right? And so I think sometimes this can be hard because it can feel as if you're not holding to your doctrine, right? If you're open to allowing it to change. And so the key thing is that what you're holding on to is scripture, right? So the only time that we allow our doctrine to change is in what, 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 what's the only thing that can happen that changes our doctrine? When scripture proves it, exactly. Not when a new speaker or a new book comes out, right? Or not when an experience happens. And if, there's, if it seems like there's a, a large body of scripture that points to one conclusion, but this one text, right, seems to have some different um, take on it, I want to be really careful to then study that scripture. Yeah, I think you see this when, um, like I, I have some friends who believe in infant baptism. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask them, you know, how do you arrive at that conclusion? Mm-hmm. And they'd say, well, when you understand my theological system. And so they would start by explaining the system of theology, mm-hmm. all these other things, mm-hmm. and then they would go to a verse. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if things are prefaced quite a bit by a theology mm-hmm. and all these other things, and it can't mean this because of this theological mm-hmm. problem, so in light of that reality, let's yeah. look at this passage. Right. That's when they're over-systematizing. I've heard, usually I hear, you know, when you look at Scripture, you must, right? Right? And that's oftentimes at the beginning, right? You're getting this wrong because when you look at Scripture, you have to do this. And there's this certain system or way of viewing it that basically... Uh, defines for you the type of results that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. You can only come to this certain conclusion. So it's similar to like in the, in what you might call like the materialistic um, scientific worldview. The assumption is if you assume at the beginning that only what's physical is, that's the only thing that exists, use that to explain the world. Well, as long as you have that assumption, you've kind of defined it so that it's impossible to ever have any other conclusion because it doesn't fit the worldview in which you're setting up and creating. So yeah, when we, when we ha- if we over-systematize, um, right, we're allowing that. And it's not that we don't want to have a systematic, we want to be able to under- understand, we're getting ready to, right, our next topic is going to be, we're getting into basic biblical doctrine. Who is God? Who is the Son? Who is the Holy Spirit? Right? What are the scriptures? So we want to do that, but it's always underneath, right? Underneath the word. So our theology and our systematic, our systems of theology have to be underneath the word. And if you have an argument or discussion with someone about their their theology in this form or that form, let's go to the word and what text says that or what text supports that. And look at those texts and be willing to have a really have an open conversation. I think sometimes there's a difference between two people trying to convince one another, right? Or two people saying, I'm, I really want to try and understand what you're getting at and where you're getting there to try and, and then hopefully uh, understanding their argument, oftentimes from a different perspective, will maybe reveal, oh, well, they're missing this text or this kind of 
doctrine that they seem to be missing or glossing over and then coming in supporting that. Okay, so, where am I at? My pages are upside down still. Thought questions. So we've gone over lots of potential fallacies. So what's the whole point? Like, why is it good to know these? Why is it good to be, remember these? Just to point them out to other people? Or? So that we don't make Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good goal. I'm looking up, I have a scripture I wrote down. It's not the right one. Maybe it's, I wrote down something. In, I guess it's not, <laughs> not either one. I, I wrote something, Second Peter, something, something. Nope, now I went to First Peter. Nope, that wasn't it. So I'm sure it's of the Lord, right? My experience is. <laughs> gave me the wrong scripture. It came to me in a dream. I don't know what. Um, I was thinking of the, the text about that talks about how um, the no, no interpretation of scripture um, is a result of of man, it's the result of the Holy Spirit. Like we, we're are, we're prone to come to wrong interpretations without the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I guess what does that kind of tell? Is, second is it Second Peter? Where is it? Okay. Which chapter? Ah, I wrote two. Wait, I is it three? Oh. Is it? One. I was off by a chapter. Okay. Yeah, so it's in it's talking about the, the prophetic word, right? And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, uh, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the production of those scriptures, right, um, as a result of the Holy Spirit, didn't come from, from them in their minds. And so it reminds me that if I'm going to understand it, I'm going to need the, the Holy Spirit. What about the level of effort? What does that tell us? Is it going to be a quick... I think that's what the Bible means to me is just almost intellectual laziness. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter what it means. It's just how does it strike me? And I think people are kind of drawn to that just spiritual, this is valid, mm -hmm. this is easy. God just spoke to me and I just listened. Yeah, and I think that the laziness too can be, it's almost as if sometimes we come with an assumption God wants to speak to us so much that he'll just make it easy that I don't have to put in any work. Um, like I'm doing him the favor of just opening the word and he should come in with a big spotlight. And so, I mean, in a sense, he, he is doing all the work, right? He's taking someone who's dead spiritually and resurrecting, giving us a new life. But, um, you know, we work at it at the same time. It's that Philippians, God works in us to will and to act. You know, according to his good purposes. 
And so there's laziness. Any other reasons why people sometimes want to rush to the interpretation? The fun part is the interpretation? Yeah. Or the application? I think sometimes it, it's a lack of, um, I don't know if it, like, this is a, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've been by a place or driven a road or something hundreds, thousands of times, and then you, like, see something there that's always been there that you've never seen before. And I kind of think of that analogy sometimes, that sometimes we're in such a rush to get you know, you're driving to get where you're going, and you're not seeing everything that's on the path. So, like, we were wanting to get to this interpretation, and sometimes we don't actually see what the scripture's saying. What are the, the choice of the words? What's yeah. the argument? Who is it to? All those. Yeah, I think there's kind of a, a depth of expertise where you're, there's a certain amount of pride where my interpretation is just as good as yours. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of kind of leveling the playing field, so to speak. So it doesn't matter if this guy has a PhD in religion and understands linguistics. My interpretation is just as good as his. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, what I'm saying like there's an elevation of self with that, mm -hmm. where I'm not really willing to just submit to this process, to find out what it actually means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's um, sometimes there. Like I've had that conversation where I'm trying to say. You, you can, I, every person can reach the right interpretation. I mean, that's, yeah. there's a little bit of grain of truth, but the way in which you reach it, right, how are you doing that? Is it, are you using the biblical um, method to reach that? And sometimes it negates some of the scriptural um, descriptions of how we understand scripture. Are you being taught? Are you being discipled? Right? Are you listening to those who are, who are wiser, who are guiding you in that? So um, this is yeah, it's kind of like I kind of feel like the uh, in class in high school, it's like the warning lesson. You know, don't do drugs, everybody. Right? It's gonna <laughs> it'll mess you up. So that's yeah. that's kind of this, <laughs> right? That's true. This is kind of the the warning the warning class. Don't make don't make these mistakes. So um, there's just so many ways. There's so many ways that our hearts and our minds, either through our own will, right? Because it, it the, it's Deceitful above all things, right? So our desires and our wills can easily lead us off the path of what the scripture is really saying. And so we want instead to find the intent of the original author. Let that be kind of the goal, seeking to enter into their world and apply this message, what it actually means uh, for today. And so when we read about Jesus miraculously healing the blind man, we shouldn't just expect him, right, generalizing that Jesus is going to come, he's going to, in a dream, and he's going to touch my eyes and um, be healed. Rather, we should ask these type of questions. What do we learn about God? So in descriptive passages, what, what do we learn about God? What do we see or what do we learn about man? And how do we understand God relating to man from this passage? Because it's true that God is unchanging, and he has chosen to reveal himself through the progressive revelation over history through the prophets, through his son, and through his scriptures. And so some examples would include, uh, we learn Jesus is the son of God, proved by the miracle. 
He's compassionate and gracious. We learn how the formerly blind man's parents did not confess Christ because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. So all of those are things that we learn there about God and man that then, then can be applied to what do we see there that could maybe we could understand ourselves better or we can understand God better in those descriptive passages. Understanding Christ as compassionate would lead us to have that compassion as we seek to be like him. And the negative example of that blind man's parents is just kind of a warning and a caution. And many of the negative experiences of Scripture are there as warnings. Many times we, this New Testament references those who are in the desert and their mistakes, right? The, um, you know, King Solomon gives lots of warnings in the Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes about, this is what I did, this is what I, my life was like, and I want you to learn from the wisdom that God's given me. And like a good teacher, homework. You guys are good though. Nobody said like, are we going to have homework today? <laughs> so one thing you can do um, is to carefully write up an interpretation. We'll just do a short passage, Titus 3, 4 through 7, using what you've um, learned kind of as we've acquired in our study tools. And just ask yourself as you read that passage, right, what does this passage tell me about God? What does it say? Or what do we learn about man? And how do we know, or what do we learn from that passage about how God and man relate to one another? And then our conclusion verse is 2 Timothy 2.15. So be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but, oh sorry, not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And kind of that word handling is like dividing up, right? Accurately dividing into the truth. So just be okay with taking your time, not rushing into application. Sometimes sometimes our study is um, like, it, we, sometimes we can have our Bible time or our study time like to answer a question, right? Like, oh, okay, this happened, I need to find, find the answer. Let me go to that text and find a text that talks about that. Read it, okay, what? We expect to read it and just have the answer right off the bat. Sometimes it takes, you know, I've had encounters with people where they ask a question or maybe we're having some, uh, some conflict either with, at home or at work or in the church. And I don't want to just think, oh, I'll get back to you, give me a few minutes, <laughs> or I'll get back to you tomorrow. So maybe it's, let's spend some time going through this passage of scripture and let's just let it kind of soak Let's talk about what we observe and being okay with that process. And I think it also, it can help both you and if you're going through it with someone else. Develop a confidence and a trust that you're both submitting yourselves to scripture and you're both willing to do whatever the scripture says, to believe whatever the scripture teaches and allow it to change us and say, you know, I would love to talk about that with you. Let's, let's go through the scriptures. Let's read through the passage. Let's read through the gospels and see. It's a painstaking effort, but it's well worth it. So I'm gonna, we got a few minutes early, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us. We have some time to fellowship. Lord, it's such a great joy, and I just, as I've remembered, um, growing up as a, as a spiritual child, as, a, as an infant, not knowing how to understand or read your word, I remember and just think about my kids when they were learning to read 
how many mistakes they made and how they constantly needed correction and teaching to develop the skill of reading and understanding and gaining meaning from from words and from text and as believers new believers old believers mature believers i pray that you would always help us to be learning give us a spirit of humility that places ourselves our experience our theology our culture everything about where we get meaning that places it all underneath the rule of your word that you've revealed and your holy spirit to work through your word. I pray that you'd give us a great confidence in your ability to speak to everything we need for life and godliness through your word and through your scriptures. Help us to have confidence that when we face a text that seems challenging, that seems to be something that's hard to understand, that we're in good company, that even the apostles talked about, and we witness them not understanding what Jesus was saying over and over again, asking, what does this mean? I pray that we would be like them, following you, the, the good shepherd and the great teacher, that you would be patient with us and that we would just have a total faith and trust in you as our guide and as our shepherd to lead us as you reveal to us and speak to us from your word. You have made known the mystery of God's will through your son and through your word. And so I pray that you help us as we seek to do that and as we continue to learn in these next few weeks. Um, I pray that you help and guide our discussion. Be with us today and fill us with a, your greatness and your glory. In your name, amen.